So our gospel story is about encounters with Jesus, and uh, I think it's interesting in this particular passage we're going to be in, in John 1 in just a moment, that you will hear that the hometowns of several of these people are mentioned. And it is interesting when you know not only someone's name, but where they're from, there are associations that go with that, right? So some of you tell me where you grew up. What was your hometown? Berkeley. Berkeley. So what's the association with Berkeley? Free speech. Hippies. <laughs> Pre-hippie. That would be Bill. Okay, another hometown. What was that? San Francisco. What do you associate with that? Hippies. We're still on the hippie track. Okay. Let's get outside of California. Another hometown. White year what? Texas. Texas. Okay. What do you think about that? She's from White Year, Texas. What's your association? Cows? Okay. Interesting. What? Longhorns. How about outside the country? Who has a hometown outside the country? Yes, you do. Where? Mexico. Mexico City? Yes. Mexico City. So what associations do you have with Mexico City? Say that again, Dave. Aztecs. Okay, yeah. Incredible civilization. So what do you think of when I say my hometown, Visalia, California? <laughs> Hick. A lot of you are kind of like me, you know, there's a reason that you're from that hometown, you know, not living there anymore. What's well, interesting because we are in this story, I'm going to show you a map of where things are happening. And this, you'll see the Sea of Galilee is right there in the middle. And the story that has been happening is right about the place where John the Baptist was baptizing. And right after Jesus was baptized, he called two disciples. He called Simon and Andrew, the two brothers. They're from Bethsaida. Can you see where Bethsaida is at the top of the lake and to the right? Bethsaida. So you're going to hear that again because Philip in this story is from Bethsaida as well. Now, there's another main character in our story. His name is Nathaniel, and he's from Cana. Can you find Cana on there? All right. So Cana is the story that's going to happen next, which is the story we all love most in Scripture, which is about Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding reception. Then there is the hometown of Jesus, which is right below that, which is Nazareth. All right. I think we're ready to hear this story. Let's pray, and uh, let's get into John 1. Verses 43 through 51. Please join me in prayer. God, we want to hear you speak to us, and we know that that happens because of your initiative, because of your spirit alive in this place, alive in this word and witness, alive in us, and we pray that we will hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. John 1, beginning at verse 43, listen to God's word to you. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? 
Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So Jesus travels into Galilee, probably over toward Cana, because that was Nathanael's hometown. We don't really know why Philip was there, because Philip is from Bethsaida. But Philip may have been down there where John the Baptist was baptizing. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus went and found Philip, and he said those very simple words, two words, follow me. Simple to say and hear, but certainly not simple to do. And we get the impression that, indeed, Philip did follow Jesus. We can tell because he is so excited. So excited and amazed and overflowing with who Jesus is. So he goes and he goes to Nathaniel. We don't know why he knows Nathaniel. They're not from the same town. But he goes right away to somebody that he can tell about this amazing fact. And he goes up to Nathaniel and he says, you've got to come meet this guy. This is the one about whom Moses wrote in the law, about whom the prophets spoke. This is the one we have been waiting for, the Messiah, the anointed of God. And Nathaniel's listening to him and he's saying, okay. And then Philip goes on and said, and he's the son of Joseph and he is from Nazareth. And you could almost hear Nathaniel laugh. Yeah, right. The Messiah is going to come from Nazareth. I mean, they knew their scriptures. They knew that he was going to be from Bethlehem. And they certainly knew that someone that was going to be a deliverer from the enormous power and oppressive regime of the Roman Empire was not going to be someone from Nazareth. So he's like, yeah, right. This is, this is interesting. Um, I don't really think anything good can come out of Nazareth. And then Philip says, come and see for yourself, which is really, really important. So he probably reluctantly follows Philip and they move toward where Jesus is. And before they can even get to where Jesus is, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he makes a comment to him about his character. What's inside of him? He said, truly, this is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. An honest, honest man of God. And that really takes Nathaniel aback. And he says, where did you get to know me? And then Jesus goes on and says, I saw you before Philip even found you. You were sitting under a fig tree. And at this point, it's like all the different dots start connecting. And they're not only connecting that this particular person whom he is encountering is not just somebody from Nazareth, 
I'm thinking that he's connecting the dots with that psalm that we heard at the beginning of worship, the psalm of David, when David prayed and he said, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. All of a sudden, Nathaniel's like, This is not just a man from Nazareth. This is a man who is this particular God to whom David prayed, who knows me. He knows me and he treasures me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When I think about this encounter, I watched a video recently. We're going to show it here. And I just want you to just enjoy this video. Just the treasuring of being wonderfully made. We had uh, planned to bring you a story tonight about a kind of prep school that prepares football players for the NFL draft and big contracts. But we're going to call an audible. We're going to switch sports tonight because we've run across an absolutely amazing basketball player that we want you to see. Here's Steve Hartman. Greece Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new, most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Let's keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. And go! Get him motivated and uh, hand out water and just be enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they'd lose a game because he'd, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Acadia. Let's okay. go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make I just, it? I just airballed it. <laughs> I'm like, just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed, too, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have believed it, you know. You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. 
his last basket right at the buzzer created total mayhem because he is autistic Jason says he's used to feeling different but never this different never this wonderful Steve Hartman CBS News Rochester New York He's used to feeling different because of autism, but never this different, never this wonderful. When I watched that video and just cried, <laughs> cried, I thought maybe this is just a taste of what Nathaniel encountered when he met Jesus for the first time. Never this wonderful. It rocked him. It changed him completely from can anything good come out of Nazareth to Rabbi. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is the one to whom David prayed. The heavens opened. And that barrier between heaven and earth went away. And the coming down of God's love and the rising up and the turning of Nathaniel toward God, it was transformational. Never this wonderful. I think it's really interesting to see how Nathaniel, in receiving just how known and treasured he is by God, that experience, it turns him toward God in Jesus, wanting to know and to treasure God. Isn't that interesting? He starts out with the word rabbi. What does that mean when he says rabbi? Teacher. Teacher, which for them, it means, I want to be your follower. I want to follow you and have you be my rabbi. I want to know you. I want to have my world informed by you because truly, as Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than this. You think this is great. You're going to see far greater things than this. That whole barrier, God coming down and earth coming to meet the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is just amazing. When people join this particular community of faith and any Presbyterian congregation across this nation, we review and we ask each person three questions of faith. And they've been guiding this three-part series. This is the second. The first question Kurt preached on last Sunday, do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The second question is do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, to show his love? Did Nathaniel intend to be Jesus' disciple? No. He was filled with skepticism, filled with doubt, reluctance. When you think about your own journey, even if you've been in the church for a very long time. Perhaps you are filled with your own skepticism. 
Skepticism about religion in general, what you see happening in the world because of religion. Skepticism about Christianity, when you hear what's going on in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ around the world. Skeptical about the church because of what you see happening in so many churches. Skeptical about Jesus. Maybe we're just making this up because we so desperately need to have a savior and a faith. Nathaniel was skeptical. But Philip told him, and this is what the church at its best does. We say, come and see. You have to have your own encounter. You have to have your own experience of who Jesus is. I can tell you what I've experienced, but you have to have your own. Even if you've been in the church a long time, I grew up in the church in Visalia, my lovely hometown. And I, for a while, my parents took me to church until I was middle school and I made it hard for my parents to take me to church because I didn't really want to be there. And then I got involved with a, a really, really fun organization called Young Life and they have a summer camp up in Canada, Malibu, There were about 40 of us that got on a bus and went all the way, high school students, all the way up to Canada. It was a great trip. And there, at that high school camp, I discovered that I was known and treasured by God. And that opening up, heaven coming down and earth meeting heaven in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, was something that turned me toward him saying, I want to be your disciple. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to know who you are, and I want to live in your love. That was my place of encounter. And I became a part of that community, the enthusiastic ones that were saying to other people, come and see. Come and see. You know, this journey is ongoing. It's not just a once and for all. It wasn't me at a summer camp in Canada when I was 16 years old, and that was the end of it. No, that was the beginning of this ongoing being known, being treasured, discovering the depths of that in Jesus Christ, and that ongoing turning toward God knowing and treasuring who God is in Jesus Christ. And a big part of my journey is being in Scripture daily, but there's also a tool that I use every day. It's a devotional book. And one of the things I love about this devotional book is that it has a one-page write-up about the different saints. Blessed among us is what it's called. They can be from the 3rd century or the 8th century or the 19th century or the 20th century. But people of faith who have turned toward Jesus and who have wanted to know him and to obey his word and to show his love. And it's interesting because oftentimes when I read about their life, it challenges me. And it makes me question where I am in my encounter with Jesus. Am I really just being a good church person? 
Or am I really still living in that place of encounter? Heaven coming down and meeting us and meeting me and letting me know personally, firsthand, ongoing encounter, how treasured I am, how loved I am, and how called I am to turn toward him. So the witness of other people is powerful. And you are a part of that witness. Your lives inspire me and cause me to go back to that place of encounter and to revisit whether I'm still in that sweet spot of heaven coming down and meeting earth in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the people that has inspired me all along and certainly inspires me now as I went and saw the movie Selma and as we are in this weekend, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. celebrating his life and ministry, um, he's an amazing man. And the reason he inspires me, there's several reasons, because he was so clear and articulate about the issues, calling this country to be the best country we can be, to our best values, to be people who know and treasure others, all people. He was so clear and brilliant. Every sermon I read by him, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could preach like that. You know, also, he was such an amazing and courageous leader in nonviolence. And when you see the movie Selma, you just get an impression all over again for how courageous and hard that way is, which is the way of Jesus Christ. And the more we turn toward Jesus and obey his word, we will show his love. And that love and justice was seen so strongly in Martin Luther King Jr., And especially, and this is the part that always gets me when I read about the saints, he wanted to do God's will even if it meant giving his life. And he had a good sensibility that it probably would. With as many death threats and bombings and jailings that he had been through, he knew that that was highly likely. But he said, what I want to do is God's will. That blows me away. And it takes me personally back to the place of encounter. In that place where everything is stripped away and there is this meeting of the power, the love, the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ that fills us and transforms us and changes us to be more and more like him. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, to show his love? Even this day, you may be filled with skepticism and doubt and wondering, but together we say, come and see. Come and see. You've got to have your own experience, not just once, but daily daily. Let's pray. Jesus, you know us. 
you know what we're thinking right now. You know what we're planning on doing later today. You know what we did and said when we got up this morning. It is too wonderful for us to comprehend. But God, I pray that you will help us to encounter you, not to understand you, but to encounter you and your love for us, that you are the one, when we were being formed in our mother's womb, you are the one, your love, weaving, knitting us together. Lord, may your love and treasuring of us encounter us so that we can turn toward you with a desire to say, Rabbi, I want to know you, I want to hear you, I want to follow you. We pray this prayer simply, and we pray it honestly, and you know You know our hearts. So love us in your direction this day. Wake us up to how wonderful, wonderfully we are, wonderfully made. And we pray this in the powerful name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.